Hey guys, this is Megan Rawlings, and you are listening to the Talk Bible to Me podcast presented by The Bold Movement. How are you, friend? I am so thrilled that you're joining me on this very first episode of season three. This season, we're going to be working verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And if you're new to our podcast, salutations. <laughs> so glad you found us. And I really hope that you like our podcast. Real quick, I want to let you know that this podcast is an extension of the Bold Movement, which is a ministry that trains women to boldly step into their role in the kingdom of God. There are tons of free resources on the website, as well as Bible studies that not only teach you scripture, but also how to study it and podcast episodes just like this one. This is all designed to help you grow in your faith and find your role and purpose in the kingdom of God. You can visit our website at www.theboldmovement.com. Okay, sis, here's how we work. We'll read a verse or two of scripture, and then we'll pause to work through it and discuss what it means. Easy enough. Cool. With that being said, get ready, get set, study. (laughs) Can you tell I've been watching the greatest British bake-off? Anywho, today we're actually going to be doing an introduction to Philippians. So this is super helpful understanding um, a book of the Bible when you have the who's, the what's, the when's, and the where's all figured out beforehand. It also helps us uh, not to make what we want it to say. So we're not making scripture what we want it. We're taking it as it is. And I like to equate taking scripture out of context to pulling muscles. And let's face it. If you've not completed the warm-up or stretches, you're more likely to pull a muscle. Now, my husband totally rolled his eyes at that cheesy analogy, but he's not my target audience. So, (laughs) all right, let's start with the author of Philippians, Paul. For those of you who are not familiar with our good pal Paul, here are some quick facts about him. In Acts 22, 3-5, Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia which is uh, south-central Turkey, give or take. But brought up in the city, I standard under Gamelia and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So what this passage of scripture is telling us is that Paul was a Jew trained under Gamaliel. And I want to tell you why that's important, um, why it's a big deal. Gamaliel, oh my gosh, Gamaliel, Gamaliel. I don't know why I can't say that now. I had it fine earlier. (laughs) Anyway, Homie was doctor of the law and a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is like, the top Jews, right? Paul acknowledged him as his teacher in Acts 22, like we just read, and he was held in such high honor that he was designated Rabban, which is our teacher. And that's a higher title than rabbi, which is my teacher. And I got that information from the New Bible Dictionary, the third edition. And I'm telling you that because I want you guys to know what resources are available and what resources are going to give you different information. As stated earlier, he did indeed persecute the early church, which was called the way. And that's why he says um, the way earlier. It was on its way to Damascus that Jesus appeared to him and Paul converted to Christianity. 
So after Paul's conversion, he spent three years evangelizing to those in Damascus and the surrounding area, and you'll read in scripture that it was Arabia. Now, further study of maps in Bible times versus today, it's probably not as deep and far in the Arabian Peninsula as we think today. The boot-shaped country is probably closer to the northern part of uh, Saudi Arabia area, but it could have been. I mean, there's no, no telling that he wasn't out in the desert, but it's just more likely that he was probably in the northern part. Um. He wasted no time in proclaiming that Jesus was Christ. And you can read more about that in Acts 9 and Galatians 1. It'll go over that information for you. Those are cross-referenced. Paul was a Roman citizen, which is actually a big deal for this book. And I'm going to tell you why shortly. Paul was a zealous man who cared deeply about the church. And he planted tons of churches and even wrote letters requesting funds or thanking those churches he planted for investing in new churches he was planting. So that leads us to our final point, which is Paul wrote a lot of the books we have in the New Testament. And a lot of those were epistles or letters. It's just a fancy way of saying letters um, to the churches that he started. So in the New Testament. And he eventually died as a martyr for the cause of Christ. There is so much we could say about Paul, but I feel like this gives you a pretty good handle on who he is. Now let's learn about who he was writing to and why. But girlfriend, listen to me. Get ready because it's about to get super nerdy here, okay? But bear with me because it's important information that'll help the book of Philippians make tons more sense. Paul was writing to the church of Philippi. Now Philippi is located in the northeastern Greece. And um, this was actually the first major center where Paul preached the gospel in Europe. The church in Philippi began when Paul saw a man from Macedonia beckon him to come help, which is found in Acts 16. That was a vision. Since you're possibly driving, cleaning, working out, it's working out to a podcast thing even, <laughs> maybe you're doing something else. I'm going to go ahead and read this passage to you. If you aren't busy, go ahead and grab your Bible and follow along. We are going to go to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to park here for a minute because it gives us a lot of information on what's happening with Paul and Philippi. Starting in verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the providence of Asia. Not providence, province. First of all, I probably butchered that name, Phrygia, and I can't read province, so this is going to be fun. Verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Remember me mentioning that earlier, girls? After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. We hear um, Acts was written by Luke. So it's Luke and Paul. And later on, we'll find out that um, other people were with them. But that's who the we is there. Okay. Um, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay. So this is where it gets good. Ladies, what I'm about to tell you is super interesting, um, and you're going to love it. Now, Philippi was given an incredibly high distinction 
called the Eus Italicum, but I don't speak Latin, so that's probably not how you say it. <laughs> but what this means is that Philippi was governed by Roman law. O'Brien says that the rights of purchase, ownership, and transference of property, together with the right to civil lawsuits, were privileges included in this. The citizens of this colony were Roman citizens, while the Constitution was modeled on that of Rome itself, with two collegiate magistrates at the head. Even though there was a strong Roman influence here, the religious aspect suggests that the inhabitants of Philippi were from mixed backgrounds, although the official imperial religion tended to dominate the city as a whole. And that's the cult of uh, the official, the imperial religion. It was a cult um, where they worshiped Caesar, essentially. The Jewish community was not huge, considering there was not a regular synagogue congregation for which 10 men were required. In Acts 16.13, we learn of Paul informally meeting outside the city by the river where several women met at the Sabbath for prayer. And uh, when I said for which 10 men were required, we're going to learn about that in just a second. But what I want to do is read to you Acts 16.13 through 15 very quickly so that you know what's happening. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. Now, when we're talking, remember, we is Luke and Paul, um, because Luke wrote Acts, and uh, there are some others who are with him. We're going to learn about that in just a second, but bear with me. Where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuade us. So get this. Basically, this is kind of the birth of the church in um, Philippi, right? Then in Peter O'Brien's commentary on Philippians, this is where we're going to learn a little bit more about what happened here. He identifies the gathering of the Jews on the Sabbath as prosuk which is house of prayer, and notes that Paul spoke only to women gathered at the river. From these details, some postulate that the group had fewer than 10 Jewish men and thus lacked the minimum number established in the rabbinic texts text to form the minyan or the quorum. However, this position fails to appreciate that prosuk was a common term used to identify diaspora meetings and synagogue house of assembly was the preferred choice for those gathering in Judea. Additionally, Luke stated that Paul spoke with the women there. He does not state that few men were present. Luke's emphasis on women here counterbalances his focus on Lydia as one among the group of women matches his wider practices. We need not read into this argument from silence that Jewish men were not present or were few in number. Jews in Paul's day were not only part of a religion, they were also an ethnic group that had a political presence in Roman cities and often had a limited self-governing privileges. Jews were one of many Eastern ethnic groups that puzzled and intrigued Romans. Today, some Christians, especially those without many Jewish neighbors, tend to see Jews only through the lens of religion. But the ancient world had a broader definition of what constituted a Jew and the Jewish community. Isn't that wild? Okay, this is so good, but I don't want to overwhelm you with too much information, so we're going to take a quick commercial break. 
We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a message from our sponsors. We are able to continue podcast episodes like this because of our Patreon supporters, Jerry Lewis, Kelsey Graff, Soyan Barber, Julia Carter, Amy Mathis, Jill Walters, and Dave Hansel. If you like what you hear, would you consider becoming a partner of The Bold Movement? Our plans range from $5 a month to $50 a month with exciting incentives for growing Christian women. Just visit www.patreon.com forward slash The Bold Movement. Now, back to the show. Okay, that was fun. And you can get your name read off too if you join our Patreon supporters um, of the podcast and ministry. Now, enough about that. Let's get back to the introduction to Philippians. If we continue in Acts 16, we learn of a slave girl who was possessed following Paul and Silas. Let's go ahead and read a little bit about that. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by female slaves who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When she, uh, when her owners realized, sorry, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Do you guys remember when I mentioned Paul was a Roman citizen earlier? Yeah, you can't do that to Roman citizens without a trial crazy. O'Brien said the charge brought against Paul and Silas in chapter 16 verses 20 and 21 by the owners of the slave girl, though dictated by commercial interests, appear to have played on the anti-Jewish prejudices of the Philippians. And it is possible that animosity against the Jews at Philippi may account for the continuing hatred of the populace against the infant Christian church. Claudius had taken steps to discourage Judaism and had expelled the Jews from Rome. I want to encourage you all to read the rest of Acts chapter 16, because while Paul and Silas were in prison, some pretty crazy things happened, which I'm sure you know, and it's really cool, so just check it out. But we need to get back to Philippians and not get too sidetracked, because I could talk about Acts all day. So later on, they get out of jail, and the point... uh, that they are Roman citizens is made. Trust me. Finish the chapter. Philippians was written in the early 60 AD, and according to Gordon Fee, it reflects all the characteristics of a letter of friendship combined with those of a letter of moral exhortation. And the main theme of Philippians is obviously to encourage the church in Philippi. Paul wants the Philippians to live their lives as solid Christians who obey the commands of God. I hope that as we study Philippians, you and I find that same encouragement and become movers and shakers for the kingdom of God. I cannot wait to continue with you. Now that we've completed our warm-up for our exercise, 
Okay, wait. Was Matt right? Is that lame? <laughs> that analogy? Anyway, tune in next week to study Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the salutation. The Bold Movement is a ministry that helps Christian women gain confidence in the biblical literacy, faith, and evangelism through customizable content strategically created to work with our community's support in order to enhance and expand the kingdom of God. I'll be back next week, and I hope you join me. This is a quick reminder that you can partner with us through our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the bull movement. Okay, ladies, until next time, go out and be bold.